United Church of Christ presents the reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman for the third Sunday of Advent, December 12, 2021. Holy One, incarnate love, take these words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts and use them to ground us in you, for surely you are our life and our salvation. Amen. Well, this Advent, as we reread ancient stories and get ready to tell once again the most familiar and recognizable of all our Christian stories, I'm thinking a lot about memory, about remembering, and about how that creates the self. A couple of weeks ago, during the prayers of the people, I asked you all to celebrate and give thanks with me for a visit that David and I made with our kids to see my mother-in-law on Thanksgiving Day. Many of you know that Gloria, who is 92, has fairly advanced Alzheimer's disease. She can still reliably call my husband David by his name, and she is always delighted to hear his voice and see his face. But during some visits, her memory seems to slide around the generations, and she relates to him as if they were sister and brother instead of mother and son. On Thanksgiving Day, when we all visited, she knew David was her son, and once I took off my mask, she called me by name too. She figured out that those two young men with us must be our sons, but not really that they were her grandsons. There was no feeling or personal connection in that that knowing. Before she could loop on the question of how old they were, and how we all fit together. David picked up a hymnal and began to sing Advent hymns and Christmas carols. Gloria's face lit up. She remembered every word and the alto line of even the most obscure Advent hymn we could pick. When we sang Angels We Have Heard on High, she started to direct us, pointing to herself and winking on that long decrescendoing Gloria. We finished with amazing grace and got her nod of enthusiastic approval for having followed her direction so well. She was especially pleased with our cutoffs. <laughs> Singing together helped Gloria remember who she was, a music teacher and a church music director, and also Jacob and Caleb's grandmother. As we said goodbye, with repeated hugs all around many times, she looked right into their faces, into their eyes, and called them by name, and asked them to come back soon to see their Grammy. I know that that lifting of the veil of forgetfulness is a gift that we may not receive again, but it was so beautiful and so joyful to be with her in that moment. Memory and what it means for our humanity is such a mystery. I'm sure that Gloria has long forgotten that we even visited. She may have forgotten 10 minutes after we left, five. But I hope and I believe that the feeling of that visit is still somewhere within her, nurturing her. In my former church, I sometimes led a Bible study with a group of women 
two of whom were lifelong friends. They had known each other since childhood. And at this time in their life, they were sharing a home. They had moved in together in their 80s after they had both been widowed. They were tender with each other and crotchety with each other and completely relaxed together. Over the 10 years when I saw them regularly, one began to have memory issues beyond just having a slower tempo. When she got confused or misplaced some event from her own life as she tried to tell a story, she would look to her friend who would remember for her. Their bond of friendship was so strong and so steady that Betty trusted her friend's version of her life implicitly. And so she was not lost to herself. Lois knows what happened, she would say. She'll remind me. This Advent, as we allow the new women's lectionary for the whole church to guide us, questions of memory keep coming to the surface for me. Questions about which stories we remember, which stories get lost along the way, which stories are ignored or even intentionally silenced. Today we are focusing on just one of the texts given, the, the Magnificat, the Song of Mary, because it is rich enough for a feast. Now this is not a forgotten text. In fact, for millions of people around the world, Catholics and Anglicans, Lutherans and Eastern Orthodox Christians, it may well be one of those prayers that's repeated so many times that it's practically bred into their bones, like the words of those hymns that my mother-in-law knew, or the words of the 23rd Psalm for so many of us, words so often repeated that they are woven into the architecture of the interior life. We in the Protestant branch of the Christian household don't repeat these words so often. They don't become breath for us. But even for us, they come up in our Advent and Christmas readings every year. We know these words. My soul magnifies the Holy One, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And we long for the fulfillment of the promises. God has scattered the arrogant in the intent of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. But there is much that we forget or were never taught. We forget that Mary is the Greek translation of the name Miriam and that Miriam was the clever and courageous sister of Moses the sister who strategically watched over her baby brother after her mother had put him in the basket and set him afloat in the river to guard him from Pharaoh. We forget that when the daughter of Pharaoh found the infant Moses floating in that stream, it was Miriam who popped up and said, don't you think you, I, I could go and get for you one of the Hebrew women to nurse the child? And then she ran and got their own mother. Miriam, who grew to be a prophet in her own right, who led the dance of freedom once the people had escaped from Egypt, singing, sing to the Lord for an overflowing victory. We forget that in her own song, 
Mary, the mother of Jesus, echoes the words of the prophet Isaiah and the song of her ancestor, Hannah. Hannah, who prayed in the temple for the gift of a child, a child she vowed to dedicate to God. Hannah, who sang her own song of praise, the gracious one makes poor and makes rich, brings low and also lifts up. God raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy. God will guard the feet of the faithful who belong to God. We sometimes even forget that all of these ancient songs echoing down across the generations and connected by, by Mary with the birth of Jesus anticipate the teachings of Jesus and are summed up in his first sermon in Nazareth. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. I've been searching these ancient texts for a fresh perspective on what all of this means, what this connection down across the generations brings to us, what it means that Mary responds to the news of this new thing God is doing by singing ancient songs, connecting Jesus with the tradition. And it brought me right down to the question of what we think the mystery of Christmas means. Here in the Western branch of the Christian tree, and by that I mean the Catholic and the Protestant world, set, a, set against the Eastern Orthodox world. In our end of the Christian world, we tend to read the meaning of the incarnation, the meaning of Christmas, through the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection. We see the resurrection as the heart, the very heart of our faith. Hung up as we have been over the centuries on the idea of original sin, the Western Church has anchored its understanding of the Christian life in the cross and resurrection. But there are other readings of the tradition. They, of course, take seriously the cross and resurrection, but they put the heart somewhere else. In, the, in Celtic Christianity and in the Eastern Orthodox world, it is the incarnation which is right at the heart of Christian faith. The incarnation becomes the lens through which the whole story of Jesus is understood. His life, his teaching, his death and resurrection. I've been reading the work of John Philip Newell, a theologian rooted in that Celtic tradition. For him, Jesus, in whom God is present in the world, doesn't come embodying something that is foreign and alien to us. Just the opposite. Jesus comes to serve as our memory, to awaken us to what is deepest in us, to remind us that what is deepest in us is also sacred. There is a stream of radical thought right at the heart of our faith, the essential oneness of heaven and earth spirit and matter, the embodiment of the divine. We've tamed this by making it apply only to one person, 
Jesus. We see Jesus as opposed to what is most deeply true about every human being, instead of seeing Jesus as the revelation or the disclosure of what is most intimately true about all life. That all life is at its core connected to the sacred. And that the birth of every child is a moment for the angels to be singing. In this way of understanding Christianity, the problem of human life is not our original sin or our essential badness. It is the soul's forgetfulness. We have forgotten who we are. Jesus comes to be our memory, to be a revelation and an epiphany. Jesus lifts the veil not to show us a foreign truth, but to reawaken us, to show us what is deep within us, what is available to us. Deep within us, we are all connected to God. This may feel like a very stark departure from what you learned in Sunday school and the ideas we have about the transcendent God of the Hebrew Bible. But Jesus does not break with the tradition of the Hebrew Bible. He fulfills it. As Amy Gillivine has written, already in the Hebrew Bible, God was experienced and addressed as father, as tenderly caring. When Luke offers a genealogy based on the Hebrew Bible, he starts with Jesus and works his way all the way back to son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. One way of reading this genealogy is to see that we are all, as children of Adam, also children of God. We are therefore all animated by the spirit of God. The angel's words to Mary announcing the birth differentiate Jesus, of course, and predict his everlasting kingdom. It's not that we are the same as Jesus, but also the angel's words connect Jesus to humanity, surprisingly but beautifully with the title, God's Son. In Mary's song, we are invited to trust in and pray for the realm of God, not in some far off world, but here and now on this earth. In this Advent season of anticipating the realm of God that is to come, we are reminded that participating is not passive. We anticipate by actively preparing for God's reign where the world will be made right according to God's justice. This upending of the powerful and the weak, the uplifting of those who are poor, and the filling of those who are empty is an expression of the inherent worth, the inherent sacred worth at the heart of every person. Our vocation as Christians at Christmas and always is to follow Jesus, to remind one another and to remind the world of our sacred worth and the sacred worth of every other person. It is our vocation to take this news to the world, not to keep it just for ourselves, to make ourselves comfortable, but to take it out and share it.
is speaking to 